Let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. We are looking at wives and husbands, the mystery of Christ and the church. And last week, we began with looking at, in part, how we got to this place in needing instruction on the family. And we saw that last week out of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 of the fall, how sin entered the earth, how the battle of the sexes, as it were, began, but God's creative power in what He did in making men and women, male and female, and those distinctive issues and characteristics and qualities that we are to have in our lives. But most importantly, this is nowhere greater worked out than in the family of God as well as in our, our individual families at home. And so this morning, we're going to finish with submissive love is where we began last week. This is what is given to the wives, submissive love. Now, we're to all be submissive to one another in the Lord Jesus Christ, but this is a specific command for the ladies, for the wives. And if you're single this morning, a single adult, this doesn't leave you out because this is how we are to serve one another. If you're a single woman this morning, we want you to know that you have a covering with men in your life, whether it be your father or brothers or good friends or the elders or deacons or other men in the church here. You're not alone. And so we want to encourage people in the family. There's so many questions in our society right now. Gender identity is in utter chaos, isn't it? The definition of the family is trying to be redefined. And even the roles of men and women in society, let alone in the family and in the church, seem to be disappearing as we go. We want to be, some, those lines want to be erased, but there's a beauty in how God has made us and made us to function within the families together. So I hope this, this message today, and most likely we'll conclude this portion next week. But let's look at it together. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 to 33. The apostle says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What a great promise in Scripture this morning. May the Lord add his blessing just to the reading of his word.
Now, just as a matter of way of review, the duty of the wife is to be submissive to her husband. That's a position of strength. It means to respect her husband, to honor her husband, uh, to adapt to her husband. And it's the principle of love at work here. It's submissive love. This is something that the husband cannot demand of the wife. Brothers, did you hear that this morning? We cannot demand of our wives be submissive. This is a wonderful gift that the wife gives to the husband. She lovingly, willingly is an act of worship to God, honors the husband as her head. We say here a lot that any home with two heads and no heart is a monstrosity, right? And the woman is the heart of the home. The man is the head of the home. At the same time, any home with two hearts and no head is aimlessly going down the surreptitious road of sentimentality. Nothing ever gets accomplished. We need both head and heart. One is not superior to the other, and one is not inferior to the other. It's a wonderful thing. Wives are to submit to their husbands as and look at it here with me there in verses 22 and 23. The wife submits to the husband, not out of drudgery, this is worship, as Christ is head of the church, and as the church submits to Christ. There's the godly example for the women here. As the church submits to the rule and headship of the Lord Jesus Christ, the wife is to submit and honor the husband. Notice this little phrase here at the end of verse 24, the wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now listen, this doesn't mean in areas that are illegal, unethical, or immoral. It doesn't mean everything, meaning in every women desire of the husband. That's not what it's referring to. It's saying in every area of life that the marriage comes under either encouragement or under stress or whatever it may be. The wives are to be a picture of the church submitting itself to the Lord, and they are to adapt and honor their husband. But listen, ladies, if your husband is acting ungodly, unethical, immoral, or illegal, you do not have to honor that. You first honor the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Would you go back with me to Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 18? We saw this last week ever so briefly. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18. And here he gives a little clarification as to what that submission means. Wives, submit to your husbands, and here's the clarifying remark, as is fitting in the Lord. Whatever becomes godliness, Christ-likeness, whatever befits the person and the work and the kindness and holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ you are to submit to your husbands, and mind you, your own husbands, in those things. But if your husband is asking you to do something against the Word of God or against the nature of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not to honor that. This is a very important distinction. Years ago, uh, there was a man, I won't mention his name, but he had quite a 
expansive ministry on family relationships. I saw him when I was in a late teen, uh, late teenager in the Chicago area, and he was telling people at that time, he was teaching women who were being brutalized by their husbands, either verbally or physically, that simply stay there. It's okay. Submit to those men. Even if they're hitting you and hurting you and abusing you verbally, you stay there. Trust that the Lord will protect you and see if that can somehow change your husband's behavior. That was unfortunate, unbiblical teaching. No woman has the right to be spoken to in an ungodly, perverse way by any man, especially your husband. This is not a license for men to mistreat their husbands. It's not a license for men to physically abuse their wives. That is not what this Scripture is teaching. I hope that's clear. We also looked last week in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And again, I just wanted to touch on this by matter of review with you this morning. Let's go back there quickly. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Here Peter is dealing with suffering Christians, and he's reminding them of their great duty in the Lord of what to do, of how to live. And he brings it in 1 Peter chapter 3 right to the family. And he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Again, submissive, honor, adapting, showing respect, so that even if some do not obey the word, and that could mean a Christian who's living in sin, or it could mean a non-believer, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Ladies, your obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ is a powerful tool, witnessing tool, or a tool of godliness in honoring your husbands, and they can be brought back to a life of godliness by your conduct. It says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, and then he goes on to say, therefore, don't let the beauty of who you are as women be determined by what you do with your hair or what jewelry you wear or what kind of clothes you put on. It's not wrong to do those things or have those things. But he says in verse, in verse 4 there, let your adorning, in other words, let your beauty be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in God's sight. Listen, there's nothing more beautiful than a woman who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and is faithful to Him and then is showing honor within the home. As the church honors Christ, she wants to honor the authority of her husband as what is fitting in the Lord. So much so it says this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Blessing. Tremendous blessing. This has been the pattern from the beginning of creation. Last week as we saw submissiveness is a form that's something that we all do as citizens. We submit to government in Romans 13. We submit to the magistrates and not only judges, but we submit to police officers and so forth in Titus 3. We're to submit to pastoral leaders and elders, leaders within the church, and let them serve with joy. 
And so last week, as we saw the fall, we saw that men and women were created in the image of a holy God. It was a good thing. And they were given a prohibition not to eat of the fruit in the center of the Garden of Eden. And when Satan came to tempt Eve, he twisted what God said. Eve added to that word. And here Eve tasted it, gave some to her husband, and then sin entered the world. What's an amazing thing is we read through that last week in Genesis is that the giving of a male and a female in marriage happened before the fall. Marriage is as old as the first parents who lived on this earth, created in the image of a holy God. Now, let me ask you a question. This is going to seem rhetorical, but are nine Supreme Court justices in black robes strong enough, wise enough, brilliant enough, to outwit the mind of a holy God who created male and female in his image, pardon me, and established that in marriage before the fall. They do not have the legal right to redefine marriage. This is a creation ordinance, and it is there for eternity. Amen? This is what we have. So when we speak about these things, sometimes people will come up to me and say, Pastor, are you getting more political on us? No, I'm not. But when politicians speak about marriage and the distortion of it, when politicians speak about taking the life of unborn children or selling their, their body parts for money, when, when they talk about gay marriage, when they talk about and praise Islamic terrorism, and do not speak passionately about those Christians that are being murdered. Those are biblical issues, and I, for one, even in a smaller congregation, feel a duty to you and mostly to the Lord to biblically speak out and address those things. This is not a political pulpit here at the Cross Church, but it is one that when politicians come into this venue by their legislation, then we must apply the biblical ethic to it. Why? Because the cross waves higher than the flag, doesn't it? And so here, this is submissive love. The government has tried to redefine marriage from one man, one woman, in a non-procreative state where children are no longer important. That is not marriage. Marriage is one man, one woman, with the ability to create family, to, to procreate. We understand physically sometimes a heterosexual couple can't have children. Maybe they can adopt. But what a wonderful blessing it is to see this kind of work in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's by way of review. This is what we sought to cover last week. To finish, number one this morning, submissive love, there are two other passages I want you to turn with me this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 and verses 7 to 15. This is a tremendous passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, and then we're going to look at verses 7 to 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll begin there with verse 2. Notice here the apostle says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, if you don't have that underlined, may I encourage you to do so, because here we see a natural flow of authority. By saying this, he's not saying the woman is beneath the man. That would be wrong because that would be like saying Christ is somehow not equal to God the Father. 
He gives us here authority figures. And just as we have governmental authorities and pastoral authorities, we have teachers, we have policemen, we have people in every stratosphere of life, this is to produce harmony and order and peace within the home. And so he says, the head of every man is Christ, the head of every wife is her husband, and by reference, Christ is the head of the woman as well, and the head of Christ is God. In incarnation, Jesus came to do the will of his Father. Now go down with me to verse 7, if you will, please. For a man ought to not cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman, woman, pardon me, is the glory of man. For man was not made from women, but from a woman. Pardon me. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. He's referring there that Adam was created out of the dust of the ground, but then he took a rib out of Adam's side and made his wife a suitable helpmate. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. She was to be a helpmate to him. Now listen, some of you might be going through things in your family where this doesn't mean that the man makes all the decisions within the home. On the contrary, we need to benefit as men from godly wisdom that the Lord has revealed to women. So we need to honor the women. It doesn't mean in our families that the man is the only one who makes the decisions. On the contrary, it does mean, though, that we are responsible as the head of that home for every decision made. And so here we see that the, the woman was made for the man, and that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, a woman is, is not independent of man or man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. So Paul says, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. He's not speaking here about how many inches you have on your head. Uh, this isn't a lesson in Barbary this morning or hairstyling. He's saying there should be a distinctiveness to maleness and a distinctiveness to femaleness. And so he says, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Some people were trying to make this an, an issue in the city of Corinth. And here, this is something that we want to honor in the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. And it's speaking there that the best way for women to function within the church and within the family is to have a covering, someone who has a position of authority. Women, it's your glory to God. It's your worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. One other passage of Scripture here this morning for you to look at that we didn't get to last week, and it's this, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. Now, this is a very important passage because it deals with husbands and wives within the context of the local church, within the context of the local church. As you know, in our, probably in the last 50 years, there has been an influx of women pastors, women pastor relationships. 
Um, some feel that that's okay. Many women feel like as long as my husband gives me permission, I can now pastor a congregation. That's not what Scripture teaches. We're going to see that in a moment. Some believe, well, if the elders of a church give that woman permission, she's under the authority of the elders. Is she free then to preach the Word, to teach the Word, to do the work of an apostle, as it were? No, there was no female apostles. That role of apostolic authority is only given to men. And it's not based on ability or if that person is a great orator, if they have better wisdom, or knowledge or maybe even a better working knowledge of Scripture. It's given for two reasons, even in the context of the church, why women take a role of submissiveness. Look here with me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and let's look at verses 11 to the end. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, I tell you, you read this in most churches today, you might have a battle on your hands, right? What the Apostle Paul is saying here, and Paul is no chauvinist, what he is saying here that a woman is to be submissive even within the body of Christ. A woman is to not exercise authority over a man. She is not to teach a man. In, in Acts chapter 2, when Paul is, oh, pardon me, when Luke is describing the early outpouring of the uh, Holy Spirit and the working of the local church, the very first thing that he says, they continued in the apostles' teaching. We saw this several weeks ago. An apostle had to be called specifically by the Lord Jesus Christ. They had to see him in the flesh and resurrected in the flesh. They had to do, according to 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs and wonders and miracle of an apostle, and they had to speak an infallible truth. They continued in the apostles' teaching. In other words, New Testament truth, New Testament reality. So if a woman were to exercise authority over a man, she's not only disobeying the Lord, but what we're seeing here is Eve in the garden acting outside the authority and the counsel of her husband. A woman should learn quietly with all submissiveness. Do you realize in Paul's day that the women could show up even in synagogue on one side and be talking and knitting and carrying on and playing with the kids, and on the other side, the men had to be quiet and learn. What Paul is actually saying here is, as a woman who knows Jesus Christ, you also should remain quiet. You should learn. He's not putting them down. He's raising them to the point equal to the man in Christ. Because we see this in Galatians, don't we? There is no male nor female, slave nor free, barbarian or Scythian. You are all one in Jesus Christ. So in terms of intellectual ability, in terms of their walk with the Lord, in terms of a woman's love for Christ, all of those things, we are equal in the Lord. But in the church of God, and this is why 1 Timothy is written, there cannot be the headship of a woman exercised in that congregation. Now why is this? If you run into people around town that are saying it's okay for a woman to be a pastor, or maybe there is such that a woman is a pastor, there's a large uh, 
church right down this side of the Martin Highway that ordains women. They used to ordain homosexuals. They've revisited that over the last two years. They still ordain women. That is outside the purview of Scripture. I've talked to some of their pastors. They're trying to be politically correct. Why is it that the Lord does not allow a woman to assume that apostolic role? Here it is, verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. There it is, the creative order. That's why a woman cannot come to a place of leadership within the local church over the congregation, over men. But, creative order. But also, it says in verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. What are the two reasons? The creative order and that the woman was deceived and not the man. We see this in our culture today. Usually the cults um, have been created by women. And we also see people trying to come in and enter through women, and they'll play on their emotions, and they'll play on their sense of, of uh, sentimentality and their sense of caring and mercy and compassion with other people. They know this. Be on your guard, ladies. If a Jehovah's Witness, a Mormon comes to your door, even some other kind of cult, they are there to try to seduce you spiritually. Do not let them into your home. If you want to give them a glass of iced tea um, on your porch, that that's fine. If I'm available, call me. I'll come over and minister to them with you uh, or some of the other elders within the church. But they tried to sneak in and they tried to create old wives' tales and fables, Paul says. This is not proper. And so he says it's only two reasons. It's not capacity. It's not intellect. It's not the ability to rightly divide the word of truth. It's none of those things. A woman cannot be a pastor uh, because of the creative order and because she was easily deceived by the serpent. Verse 15, you shall be saved through childbearing, meaning here's the procreative order, her voice within the home, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, this is also echoed. I, I want you to see this in Titus chapter 2, and then we'll move ahead to the brothers this morning. Titus chapter 2, and I want you to see what is a wonderful role for women? You know, when growing up, my mom and dad would always say, Steve, when you get married one day, marry a Proverbs 31 woman. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Marry a Proverbs 31 woman. You know, that Proverbs 31 woman was industrious. She made fabrics and textiles. She had ships coming, multiple ships coming to the port so that her goods and products can go out into the world. This is not a prohibition on women being involved in business or trade or having some sort of craft that they're involved in. That is not what this means here. Women can do much for the glory of God, but here their influence is with the children and with other women as our women's ministry serves faithfully in that way and within the home. Let's look at it together here. Titus chapter 2. Look at verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfast in steadfastness. Older women likewise. When you see that word likewise, it means the same. Are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, 
pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. Ladies, what a ministry that is. Can I encourage you, whether you're married or whether you're maybe widowed here this morning or newly married, maybe you're a single mom, a single woman, can I tell you, look at that work that you can be doing for a new generation. If you don't have your own kids, you can come here, serve some of the kids at this church, or be involved in serving women, discipling them. Notice this, working at home, pure, self-controlled, submissive to their own husbands. Why? I love this, that the Word of God may not be reviled. There it is. What a great calling women have upon their lives. So in the battle of the sexes today, where everyone wants to assert themselves, what a wonderful characteristic to see a woman adorned with the beauty of godliness, with the beauty of Christ-likeness, with the beauty of those that have gone before like Sarah of old and others, and that are serving faithfully right where God has called them. They're honoring their families. They're honoring their husbands. They're even there doing industrious work. In other words, a godly woman is not an idle woman. She's not at home watching soap operas from noon till five, right? That's not a godly woman. That's a recipe for disaster. You are involved in other women's lives. You are involved in other kids. If you're a grandparent this morning, what a wonderful thing to be able to train future women for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know my daughter Mary is here visiting uh, this week. It's so great to see her. She's just turned 20 this year. I couldn't believe it. I remember it was like yesterday when she was born. Well, you know, I praise the Lord for older women that can speak into her life because she has a heart for the Lord. She has a heart for Christ. And it takes multiple voices. It doesn't take a village. It takes a church, doesn't it? To come alongside and encourage younger women within the Lord to see them fruitful for the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen. If you're a single parent this morning, you don't have to feel like you're alone in raising your kids. There are other men and primarily women that can come alongside and encourage you, pray for you, and help you in that great task. Submissive love. That's the church loves Jesus Christ and submits to Him in all things. Number two this morning. This is for the men. Sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Now, here we come, brothers, to an important passage of Scripture. Again, as you remember, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, men are given a place of teaching and authority and prayer and other things, just as women can pray as well. But they can teach the younger children. They can teach other women. They just cannot teach men. By the way, just one more thought on that. It doesn't matter whether we're in a sanctuary or whether we're at a civic auditorium downtown at a conference. A woman cannot exercise authority over a man. It is forbidden in Scripture, okay? There's no loophole in this. There's no conference. Um, there was a, a woman, Joyce Meyer, who was teaching down at a very large church in West Palm Beach. 6,000 people came out. A third of them were men, and they were sinning, listening to her, and she was sinning, instructing them. That venue does not determine the biblical truth. Anytime the people of God are gathered, a woman cannot exercise authority over a man. Okay? Is that, is that clear? Does that sound good? Now, number two, sacrificial love for the men. This is an important part of Scripture because today men, even in their homes, even on sitcoms, on television, in all kinds of places, 
men are usually given kind of a almost a feminine, wimpy attitude concerning themselves. But here we see godliness in sacrificial love is being a strength, just as it is submissiveness for women. Uh, a godly man doesn't lord over his family, doesn't rule with an iron fist, but rules with gentleness and kindness. Look at it here together. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. And what's the example here? Wives submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ and as Christ submitted to the Father. Here, husbands, love your wives, agapao, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's sacrificial love. Gentlemen, we are to lay down our lives for our wives. He might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Here's what Jesus Christ does to the church, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Notice this phrase, in the same way husbands. It's like saying likewise. Here's what the Lord does to the church. He not only has redeemed the people of God by giving His life on the cross, he laid down his life. He endured the ridicule and the scourgings and the sinfulness of men so that he might, as the husband of the church, redeem a bride for his own pleasure and glory. And here he says of the husbands, likewise, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then he goes to sanctification, that he might sanctify her. It means to make clean to make clean, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that he might present the church himself in splendor, spot or, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Brothers, this is our duty to our families. This is our duty to our wives. In other words, sometimes we must say very wonderful, kind, loving things. Other times, brothers, we might have to say a confrontational word, something that would stir their hearts, something that would challenge them in their walk with Jesus Christ. Are we praying with our wives? Are we reading the Word with our wives? Are we seeing what their spiritual gifts are? And are we trying to develop those things within our families for our wives? This is the Lord's work within the church. It's our work out of love for Him. And so we see this in Scripture in all matters of places. Could we turn back to Colossians 3 this morning? Colossians 3.18 is for the wives, but Colossians 3.19 is for the husband. This is a wonderful verse, Colossians 3 and in verse 19. Again, wives are to submit to their husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I love this. Husbands, love your wives. Now, we sang a song on biblical love here this morning. God's love to us is unmerited. We can't earn it. It's unfailing. It will never leave us. We can, nothing can separate us from it. It is self-sacrificial. He laid down His life on the cross. It's undeserving because we can't work for it. And it's unreciprocated love. Uh, it's re unreciprocated love. We can never spend an eternity thanking our Lord Jesus Christ for all that He's done for us. It's fathomless. We'll have an eternal work with Him to tell Him how much we love and adore and praise and worship Him. In the same way, brothers, we are to love our wives not because they're reciprocating in love, 
not because they're acting lovely or doing lovable things. We love because Scripture commands us to. Just like the husband cannot demand of the wife, submit, that's a gift that she gives to the husband. The wife cannot demand, love me as Christ loved the church. That's our gift, brothers, to our wives. Love biblically is not an emotion. It's not conditioned upon a response. So notice here that with me, husbands love your wives, self-sacrificial, undeserved, unmerited, unfailing, unreciprocated love. And notice what he says, because this is where we lose it, guys, and do not be harsh with them. The opposite of real Christ-centered love is to simply dismiss someone out of a critical heart. And we don't want to do that. Listen, marriage is not a performance between a man and a woman. Uh, It is unconditional acceptance in Jesus Christ of how He has blessed us within the families. Solomon even says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. She's a gift from God to us. We are not to mistreat our wives. We are not to speak harshly with them. We are not in any way, shape, or form to abuse them with words or with actions. Husbands, love your wives. Simple, isn't it? Not easy. This is a work of grace, but simple. In that wonderful book, The Song of Solomon, don't worry, we're not going to read it all this morning. That would be too much for for some. But go with me to Song of Solomon chapter 4 and verse 7. By the way, husbands and wives, if you've never read Song of Solomon together, Do it when you're alone. It will just ignite your hearts for each other. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, and in verse 7. Some of your versions might say the Song of Songs, but the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, and verse 7. I love this. Here's the bridegroom talking to the bride. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. What is he saying? I don't need Botox to be attracted to you. You don't have to have surgery. You don't have to do anything. I love you. You are beautiful to me. You are beautiful to me. You know, other parts in this wonderful book of Song of Solomon, it uses some very different kind of language. Like her neck is like the tower that raises high. Or her thighs are like a hillside full of goats descending out of Mount Gilead. Not maybe the most romantic thing, men, you could ever say to your wife. But in that day, it had a wonderful meaning. Think of it what it would be in your day. What is it that your wife treasures to hear and longs to hear? Are you doing that? Are you taking a walk? Are you spending that time talking? Going through those things. And you know what? This really says it. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Every woman wants to hear that from a man. Not just lip service, but really be shown that. This is a wonderful, wonderful gift of love that we can give to our wives. But last week, I just touched on it at the end of the service, but I really wanted to spend a few more minutes here with you this morning. And we'll close with this here this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Again, we saw in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, the command for the wife in godly character. But 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, now here is the command for the man. 
This is a wonderful phrase. Notice in verse 7, likewise. This is now mirroring what the woman has done. Likewise, husbands, and it goes even back to 1 Peter 2 where Christ suffered for us, laid down His life for us. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. There it is. What does it mean to love as Christ loved the church? He understands us, doesn't He? He's patient with us. He's gracious toward us. He's longing to forgive more than we are to sin. He is there in an unfailing work as our Lord and Savior in heaven. According to Romans 8.34, He lives to make intercession for us. He's constantly praying for us. He has left us the Holy Spirit who resides in us, who teaches us, comforts us, admonishes us, convicts us of sin, guides us into truth. He's saying, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, brothers, you don't have to be an authority on any other woman. But with your wife, you must be. What does she love? What causes her sorrow? What's the, what's the little look you can give her that builds her up or tears her down? What are the things that you can do that just, it could be the simplest little chore around the house or a little note in the morning or a phone call or a text in the afternoon that lets her know, I'm treasured by my husband. He's faithful to me. He loves me. He cares for me. Live with your wives in an understanding way, full comprehension. Be an authority on your wife. You show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And again, this is not saying spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, relationally, she is inferior. Not at all. This is, to, this is being said of physical strength. Most women are not as strong as men. Uh, this is a command by Peter to the man. Do not use physical strength to intimidate or abuse or hurt your wife. That is foreign from Scripture. We are not permitted to do that. I've seen men, even in grocery stores, get right up in their wife's face and try to yell at them, beat them down verbally, just even with a look, try to intimidate. That is not what we are to do within our homes. We are to honor. Notice that word. We are to pay honor to the, to the woman as the weaker vessel. Honor her, her frailty, as it were, physically. Honor how God has made her. There's a uniqueness to men and women. This is one of the, unique, the uniquenesses, and it ought to be celebrated, not looked down upon. Husbands, honor the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you. And look at this phrase. You want a great phrase of what Christian marriage is? Here's what it is. Co-heirs of the grace of life. That's a phrase that means marriage. He's not talking salvifically. He's not talking the grace of salvation. He is saying that marriage is God's grace to us, and we are both co-heirs of the grace of life as husbands and wives in Jesus Christ. Wonderful phrase, isn't it? Next anniversary. Gentlemen, when you send the dozen red roses, just say, I love you. You're beautiful to me, my love, as the co-heir of the grace of life. It's wonderful. That's what marriage is. It's God's grace to us. Brothers, can I encourage you in something? I know it's, it's fun sometimes when men get together. We tell stories. We poke fun and so forth. But can I encourage you never to make fun of that which is sacred before God? Don't make fun of that which is sacred before God, meaning this. 
Don't even in humor demean your wives. She is God's gift to you. Don't use humor to tear her down. Don't use humor to mask a lack of intimacy and connection and commitment to your own spouse. Honor her. Treat her with respect. You know, every time that uh, my daughters are visiting and so forth, and I go over to open up their car door, I said, a man always opens a door for a lady. When Mary was just five or six, she would giggle, you know. Kids at the school, when they're young, I would walk them out sometimes, and I'd say, a man always opens a door for a lady. Oh, Pastor Steve called me a lady. He, you know, is fun for them. But, you know, it begins then. It begins then. Treat the woman with respect. Treat her with respect. Honor her. Love her. Care for her in this way. And then notice here, lastly, brothers, and here's the, here's the motivation for us, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Gentlemen, just let me talk frankly to you this morning. Do you think the heavens are brass to you this morning? Do you think that maybe God isn't hearing you, listening to you? that you brought needs before him, and you feel like prayer doesn't work. I had a, another pastor in the community show up at our home a little over a month ago. He says, I don't know where else to go. You're the only friend I have in town. And, and I said, you, you need to give your wife a little distance. You need to pray for her. He goes, I've tried prayer. It doesn't work. That's a pastor saying that of another church in the community. Prayer doesn't work. I knew right away he was not living with his wife in an understanding way. Why? Because his prayers are being hindered. His prayers are being hindered. Gentlemen, if you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, and again, all of this for us as men and women, this is not a call to perfection. This is not a call to sinlessness. We all have our blind spots. We all have our flaws. We all have confusing days, and we all have frustrating moments. This is not speaking idealistically. This is not some sort of Peter Pan nirvana we're talking about this morning. This is real life. But brothers, if you feel God isn't listening to me, your hearts become hard against the Lord, prayer doesn't work, can I encourage you, look no farther than how you are living with your wife. If you're not living with her in an understanding way, your prayers will be hindered. Listen, you might as well pray to your iPad or your smartphone or, you know, the TV or a football or your, your car or your truck or whatever it is that you treasure in your life as men. If your prayers are hindered because you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, you know the source of it. Begin there. Am I treating her as my bride, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her? Next week, we're going to see this section of Scripture wrap up with sacred love. Sacred love. And this is going to see in the Old Testament as well in the New of why the husband and wife relationship. Why is marriage male and female? Why is it that two lesbian women cannot become married? Why does that not honor the Lord? Why is it that two gay men cannot be married? Why does that not honor the Lord? Also, I want to, several of you have called this last week or have sent me a text or a note and saying, are you going to address in this little section of Scripture what biblical marriage is, but most importantly, is there ever a time where divorce is, is permitted? 
Is there ever a time if you're divorced, can you become remarried? I want to address that next week. So we're going to see the sacredness of marriage. And if you've been through a divorce, there is grace for you. Are you remarried? There is grace for you. Maybe you're a single parent and you're saying, I'm really praying. I would love to be remarried, but I don't know if that's even permissive biblically. We're going to talk about some of these important questions because they're in the church and they're in the culture, and we need to know how to respond, don't we, biblically? So I hope this will encourage your hearts and minds. Grace of life, the grace of life. We need to give each other grace, and it begins with families. Most importantly, we need to give each other grace within the local church, don't we? When we're hurting, when we have struggles with each other, we don't jump ship. We're there to talk it through. We're there to work it through. We pray for each other. We love one another. We just said it this morning. Love believes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. Do we believe that? And if we do, then we can say this is something that we can keep on for the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray together. Father God, we thank You. You've given us, Lord, 10,000 reasons in which to praise You this morning. And we do so, Lord, because we love You and honor You as our Lord and Savior. Father, thank You for the truth of Scripture. Thank You for the hope of the Gospel. Thank you, Lord, that as wives submit to their husbands, they do so because church submits to Christ and Christ submits to the Father. What a great image we have for the ladies. And for the men, we love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What great hope we have. And so, Lord, may we not buy into the standards of the culture May we not do which is expedient. May we do what is honoring to you biblically. May we not cast aside the truth of your word just to be liking and enduring the kind of times in which we live. Oh, Lord, if we're struggling today in our marriages, you're the divine healer. You're the wonderful counselor. May we run to you, not out of a heart of pride, but a heart of brokenness because we are all sinners in need of grace. In fact, we could say marriage is two forgivers learning how to live together. And so, Lord, may we see that exemplified in our homes. Thank you for the families here at the Cross Church. Use us to glorify you, for it's in your precious name.